Father, this evening we are here in your house, your people, and even as we have sung, yes, Lord, we need you. Every hour, and especially at this hour. Father, we need you, O Lord, and we acknowledge our weakness this, this evening, our inability, O Lord, to hear unless you quicken our ears. Our inability, O Lord, to understand unless you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Our inability, O Lord, to obey what we have heard and been taught unless you empower us by your Holy Spirit. And therefore we acknowledge this evening, O Lord, that we can do nothing without you. Father, we just want to truly, truly obey you. And this evening, O Lord, even as we hear your voice, hear your word, I pray, Father, that you will hear your voice. Your voice speaking to all of us in this last hour of time. Father, when things around the world are going out of hand, Father, you said to your church, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. And I pray, Father, that we will be a sort of people who will have that kind of a hope. We will not be a people without hope. I pray, Father, that you prepare our hearts, O Lord. Even as we meditate upon your word, you would speak to us, anoint us, so that we'll be able to hear, for anoint me especially, I'll be able to speak your word, O Lord. That you will give me the ability not only just be the speak the word and hear the word, be also, but also to obey the word. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Praise you, Father. We worship you. We give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. We understand that we've been in living in the last days and... Uh, uh, when uh, Jesus is asked this question, you know, by the apostles, when uh, when will these things be? And it's very interesting that they ask the question when Jesus makes the statement that this temple that the Jews trusted in, not one stone will be left. And then Peter, James and John will come and ask, Lord, when will these things be? And when, what will be the signs of times? And Jesus says, take heed that no one deceives you. And he goes on to say, those days iniquity will abound. Lawlessness will abound. Will abound. It will be a, a lawless generation. And many hearts, the love towards God will wax cold. And because the love towards God has waxed cold, the love, their love toward one another will also become superficial and without any truth. And therefore even the first epistle that uh, that Peter, uh, sorry, Paul writes, and we looked at that in last uh, Wednesday. We talked about the first epistle. Paul is writing, and I mean, of course, in the second Second Thessalonians, he says, "Don't think that the day has come, and that day will not come until the lawless one is revealed, and the mystery of lawlessness is already at work." He says. I mean, can you imagine if 2,000 years the mystery of lawlessness is at, is at work, the mystery of iniquity is at work. It's so important for all of us to understand that it's only increasing and therefore we need to progressively understand as to why, uh, as to how we should counter this, the iniquity in our own hearts. We're not looking at the surroundings or people in the world or people even in other churches or other places. We are looking at our own heart and we are judging our own self. Because I believe that one of the things that keeps happening to Every one of us, even as we walk with the Lord, is that there will always be a depth of the revelation of our own sin. You know, when Paul started, he says, I am the least of all the apostles. Oh, 
He was comparing himself with the apostles. And then he says in Ephesians, he says, I'm the least of all the saints. <laughs> and finally, at the end of his life, he says, boy, I'm, I'm the least of all. I'm the chief of sinners. And therefore, there's a progressive understanding and that mystery of iniquity in his own heart. And therefore, he's able to clearly discern and write things for us so that we will, we will be able to understand the iniquity in our own hearts and be able to counter that. So if there is a mystery of iniquity. There is, of course, a mystery of... Uh, okay. So title this message... The mystery of godliness. It's not that I understand the mystery of godliness or I've cracked the mystery. No. I've been cracked by the mystery. That is true. Okay. So this is, I'm not trying to show you off that I'm Sherlock Holmes. No, it's not. Uh, uh, and I'm not, I'm also not showing you that I'm, I'm speaking something new. No, I'm not. We understand several things also because we've got the 2020 hindsight and we've been given the entire scripture. Uh, you know, Isaiah 53 is not a mystery for us. <laughs> okay. We know exactly who is he, who it's talking about. But you know, what are the things, you know, one of the, one man of God was talking about. Why do we keep revisiting the story of Jesus over and over and over again, in spite of the fact that we know him and we know it? You know, he says it's like a, it's like a detective novel. If you have read detective novels when you're growing up, not now, these days I don't, but those days I used to read a lot. Uh, and I used to read Agatha Christie and, uh, Earl Stanley Gardner and what have you and Sherlock Holmes. Boy, I, I, I used to, one of the things I used to read is keep reading it over and over and over again. After, in spite of the fact that I know the story. Who done it, I already know. Okay. There is Simpleton, there is Stapleton, and we know the Stapleton is a villain, right? <laughs> but one of the things that we also, when we read the story, we also understand the mind of the author. You see? The hidden clues. You know, that we get the revelation of the mind of, of God himself. And when we study the mystery of God, and I'm not talking about something new, but something which I believe is, 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 is uh, which will reveal the heart of God to us and also show the depth of our own sin. That's, that's the reason why we need to understand this and revisit this. Of course, and this is one of the three sixteens in the Bible. Everybody knows John three sixteen, right? God so loved the world and he gave his only begotten son, the whosoever believes. And then we also know one John three sixteen, don't we? Okay. In this we know that we love God when we love our brothers. Okay. And then there is another three sixteen which I want to focus today. It's first Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. And this is interesting. This is how it starts, verse sixteen. It says, Without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. What is it? Great is the mystery. The word great, by the way, comes from the Greek word megas. It's a mega mystery. Okay. There are only two great mysteries in the entire Bible. One is the mystery of godliness, mega mystery. And the other is the mystery of marriage, mega mystery. Okay. And therefore, Paul tells in First Peter chapter 3, you guys treat your wives according to Knowledge. Understanding. Gnosis, that's the word. <laughs> that means do your homework. <laughs> you need to understand them. And every day they will reveal something new. That's a mystery. Great mystery. Mega mystery. And another word, the, the word mystery of course comes from the word mysterion, which is mentioned 27 times in the, in the Greek New Testament. Mysterion. What does it necessarily mean in every context? It means... Mysterion, it's a mystery of God. The secret counsels which govern God in dealing with the righteous, which are hidden from the ungodly and wicked men, but are plain. What are they? They're plain to the godly. 
So this is the mystery that we're going to study. Great is the mystery. And what is it? What is this mystery about? It's about godliness. Yuseba. That's the Greek word. And it's mentioned 15 times in the Greek New Testament. I'm not a Greek pundit. Neither do I understand every possible Greek word. No. I'm, I'm at the mercy of the concordance and online concordance. Okay. And this is what I've discovered. Yuseba is used 15 times and it's rendered either as holiness or godliness. And holiness only once. Can I have this one? Yeah. Holiness only once. 14 times. It's called godliness. Interestingly though, 10 of those 14 times, it's mentioned in the pastoral epistles of Paul to Timothy and Titus. 9 times in Timothy, once in Titus. And the rest of the four times is mentioned in the epistles of Peter. So why am I talking about this? What's so great about this? Except the fact that both the epistles to Timothy and the epistle of Peter both were written at the end of their ministry. Okay. It's interesting that when he, when, when Paul is talking to his, to his, uh, to his, uh, the, the person whom he has mentored, Timothy, his prodigy, he says, you know what? He mentions godliness, godliness ten times at the end of his life. You know why? Because now Paul is a mature believer. He's a mature elder. He's a mature apostle. He has seen tens and thousands of, of, of uh, saints and he knows who's good, who's genuine, who's right, who's wrong. He also knows Demas who forsook him. Okay. So when he's writing, he's talking about godliness. He's specifying godliness over and over and over and over and over again to Timothy. And why Peter? Epistle Peter also is written at the end of Peter's life. Now this Peter is completely different from Peter of the, of, of the day of Pentecost. 3000 people were saved. Now he understands that it is not easy. It's not that everybody who starts with the Lord will finish. He's also heartbroken over the people who have forsaken the way, the righteous way. And he reiterates godliness four times. And therefore I believe when we are coming to the end of time, this is something which we need to consider and understand at least on some level. And this is a mystery of godliness. What does it mean? You know, godly life is something which we have to seek. It's not an easy route to live a godly life. We look at it that, look at that uh, before we uh, understand what the mystery of godliness is, we need to understand what this mystery is. Who is the, who are these mysteries for? Okay. Whom does God reveal himself? And the thing that we looked at even on last Sunday, mysteries are for first one. Mysteries are for, for, for. Matthew chapter 13, verse 10 onwards, and the disciples came and said to them, why do you speak to them in parables? And he said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them it is not given. For whoever has to him more will be given and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have even what he has been will take what what he has will be taken away from him. And we'll see this principle over and over again. What does that mean? The more you desire to live a godly life, the more God reveals himself to you. Simple. It's a discipline. See? Only for disciples, not for everybody. The first disciple, of course, 
is Jesus himself in Isaiah chapter 50 verse 4, he says, the Lord has given me the tongue of a disciple. That's one translation says, uh, the tongue of the learned, but the original word in the Hebrew is the word limud. Limud. Remember the verse that we often quote, all our children will be what? Taught of the Lord. The word taught is again the word limud. What does it necessarily mean? All our children will be discipled or disciplined of the Lord and great will be their peace. You see? And Jesus himself was a limud. He was a disciple. What does it mean? Essentially a, a, a word which tells that this guy with constant practice has gained a character in his life. A constant practice. So we'll see that. That I may know how to sustain the weary one with the word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen to as a disciple. The Lord has, the Lord God has opened my ear morning by morning. Of course, that is in parenthesis. And I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. This is something which we need to understand. God is going to reveal himself only to his disciples. Discipline, of course, uh, comes from the word disciple, of course. Right? Second, mysteries are for the humble. Okay? Was, Matthew chapter 11 verse 25 to 26. I thank you father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to who? Little children. Yes, father, for such was your gracious will. And therefore he says to Nicodemus, 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 unless you get converted as a little child, you will not even see or enter into the kingdom of heaven. You need to become, you need to be born again as a little child. And you have to continuously have that attitude of a little child. Not childish, but childlike. It's not going to... The moment... The moment... One of the things that you will understand. The moment you stop getting revelation from the word of God. You need to understand. You come to a realization that you have arrived. You have never ever arrived. You have never ever arrived. And therefore the great apostle had to learn this lesson. You see that? What does he say? 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 7, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. I got so much of revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And therefore he says, my grace is sufficient for you. He understood the truth of the grace is sufficient for him when? When he was humble. A lot of thorns in our flesh God will give in different ways to keep us humble. Then, mysteries are for the disciples, mysteries are for the humble, and then mysteries are for the mature. See, First Corinthians chapter 2 verse 7. But, this is talking about among the mature, we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. You see that? The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Notice that. For none of the rulers of this age knew, for they, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And he goes on to say, but as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it to us through his spirit. Okay, you see that? The mysteries are for the mature. So how do I know that I am mature? Very simple test. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers. Okay? You still need milk. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled. 
But solid food belongs to, of those who are full of age. You see, you need to understand when you read the Bible for the very first time, no? The first time when I read the Bible, six months finished over. The entire Bible is fine. It was like milk. You see? It was meant to be like that. When you read the word, the word first, and that's the reason why Paul says, as new, uh, Peter says, in second, first Peter chapter two, he says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk or the pure milk of the word of God so that you may grow thereby. So what is the characteristic of milk? Very easily it goes inside. Okay. But solid food, after a while, after six months, when you finish, the next time you start reading, it's so tough. See? To get through one chapter, you have to really sort, what is this Lord? I'm not able to understand. I'm not able to get it. Why? It is meant to be that. It was meant to be like that. So that now you take it slowly, you chew, you nourish, you digest, you understand what exactly God is telling you for that particular situation. You see? And one of the things that many, many children, they don't love is solid food. Give me my dudu. You see? By this time, you ought to be what? Teachers. It's very interesting. In other place, the word same teachers is mentioned in the book of James. In, st- in this in this context, he says, let not many of you become. <laughs> Paul is saying, by this time, you ought to be teachers. And James is saying, by this time, I mean, not many of you should be teachers. What does it mean? What does it mean? God is, see, Paul is saying you should become teachers by this time. James says, you're not ready to be a teacher. You know, a lot of people have a lot of knowledge, Bible knowledge, but they don't have experience. They don't have obedience. You see? That is the reason why Paul says, when you prophesy, prophesy according to the measure of faith that is given in you, according to the level of obedience in your life. You see? And therefore, the call is, for the mature. You see, the mysteries are for the mature. So first we have mysteries are for the disciples. Mysteries are for the humble. Mysteries are for the mature. Second, the fourth one, mysteries are for the noble. This is very interesting, of course. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 1, these Proverbs of Solomon were discovered and copied by the aids of King Hezekiah of Judah. Okay, they were discovered. It's interesting, right? They lost those proverbs and they discovered. So what is the very first proverb they discovered? It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. But the glory of kings is to search out the matter, you see? The mysteries are for the nobles. And and therefore he says, you are royal priesthood. You see? God says, I'm going to reveal my secrets to you and this is the mystery of the kingdom. And you need to have a new birth. It is for for the people who are noble. And therefore, what does he do? When it, If it is for noble people, he's, going to, he's not going to share those mysteries with people who are not serious, who don't understand what nobility is. You see? Therefore, he says in Matthew chapter 7, don't give Dogs that which is holy do not throw pearls after pigs. You know, when I was growing up, one of the things that we used to learn in our, and of course Peter also goes on, he says, and he says, this is an old saying. I don't know, you don't find this old saying, by the way. Old saying, Second Peter chapter 2 verse 22 says, 
Dog has gone back to its vomit. Thick to the mire. You know, I, I, when I was growing, one of the things that we used to uh, study, you know, in, in in our language, I don't know if uh, how many of you have learned Telugu as a first language. I learned Telugu as my first language. I'm ashamed of that right now, not because of Telugu, because I don't behave like one. Uh, there's one set of poems that you know we used to study and by heart those days. You know, there was one pa- set of poems, a hundred poems by an unknown poet. It's called the Sumati Satakam. I, I don't know how many of you have heard that. Any anybody Sumati Satakam? Okay, so many, few Telugu people. Sumati, you know, what does it mean? Sumati means a guy with a manchimati. Good mind. A noble mind. Okay. Vinara Sumati. Okay. Okay. Vinara. You should please learn and understand. Oh, you people of noble mind. And there was one poem which used to, which struck our mind when we were growing up. It talks about a dog, you know. A dog which is Given a throne. You know, we, so we read that. Kanakapus in Mahasanamana. Sunakamanu kurchunda bettina. What does it mean? Take a dog and put it on the golden throne. Subhalagnamunan. On a nice muhurtam. And donaragapattamugattina means puddu patabishagam. Anoint him as king. And what, you know what it will do? Venukatik gunamelamanu. It will just go back to the same old things it used to do. You know what? Who thought about this? Our poets who are not believers. Except the fact that he thought everybody else was a dog except him. The fact is, you know something which is very very important. Mysteries are for people who understand that the mysteries of God are precious. He's not going to give them to everybody with a casual attitude. Who's not serious about exercising godliness and who's going back over and over and over and over again to the same old sin and the same old defeated life. If that is happening to you over and over again, God says, I'm not going to reveal more. Because the more I reveal to you, you'll not even care about it. No. You know, one of the things that you go to colleges these days, first semester, first semester, first year course, what is being taught to them, I told them. I said, you know what? What I learned in fourth year of engineering, you have been given in the first year for semester. What we learned from textbooks is been given to you. Artipandu, Valachichinatu. You know what? You guys don't value it. You don't value. And you know, when we don't value Godliness. We don't value. God says, I'm not going to give it. Reveal to you. But does he stop there? And if you are really sick and tired of a defeated life and you're crying out to God, I'm not talking about people who are comfortable. This is talking about people who are comfortable in their sin. They're comfortable. They're not fighting it. They're not fighting and failing. They're not fighting and failing, but they're comfortable in their sin and they're justifying it. He's not talking about them, but he's talking about those people who are absolutely defeated and they are hungry for victory. You know what he says, my son, 
If you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to my wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. For if you cry out for discernment, lift up your voice for understanding. This is Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1 onwards. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover. You see, you will discover. You know why? Because you have diligently searched and searched and searched and said, Lord, what is it, Lord? What is it in my life? Show me, O Lord. Search me. Try me. Know me. And tell me what is there in, what is wicked in me. Because I don't know myself. I do not know myself, Lord. I think that I am good. I think that I am noble. Therefore, it says in Proverbs chapter 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. For it will be for health to your flesh and strength to your bones. You see that? Knowledge. Discover the knowledge of God. You know, there's a difference between discovering and inventing. You know that, right? What is invention? Something which is new. Never been done before. What is discovery then? Something which is already old. And you are discovering it for yourself. And it becomes a revelation for yourself, you see. You see, this is how, this is what, the, the, this is the reason why exercising godliness requires diligence and a, and a, and a attitude of a student. You need to become a student of the word of God. You need to become a student of your own heart and of your own soul. You see? It's not for people who are casual and not serious about God's, uh, God's ways. And therefore, you know, this is only for the hungry. This is only for the hungry. And you know what happens? One man in the old covenant who was absolutely hungry for God was Moses. He said, Lord, teach me your ways. Show me your paths if I have found grace in your sight and if I have found favor in your sight. Because these are your people, Lord. I do not know. I do not understand. I am absolutely hungry for you. And God revealed his glory to him. This is only for the hungry. This is faith, saints. This is faith. That's the reason why it says Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please God for everyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of all those who seek him diligently. You see that? This is for the hungry. See that? Wisdom. Mysteries. is not going to be revealed to each one of us easily. No. Something which has to be searched, exercised, disciplined and made a part of our character. And it's so so very important, therefore, what you believe. You see, what you believe will determine what you how you behave. How you behave will determine your character, and your character will determine your destiny. What you believe will determine your behavior, behavior will determine character, and character will determine your destiny. And every one of us knows we are here not because of ourselves. There are there are certain choices that we have made over over several years, and we are a result of sigma choices. Some total of all the choices in our lives. Okay? So, therefore it's very, very important for us to understand this. And therefore, why should we study this? Why should we study this? And let's see what Paul is going to say to Timothy 1, Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine, but neglect profane and old wives' fables. But exercise yourself toward godliness. Okay. What is your primary exercise towards godliness? For God, bodily exercise profits little. Okay. Means it will profit but very little. But godliness is profitable for all things. That means if you want to live a godly life, it will also benefit you physically. You see? 
Well, one of the things that we were discussing in, in, in the first men's prayer, men's prayer was first Saturday. You want to be a minister of, of the word of God. You want to be a servant of God. Three things. Physically fit, emotionally fit, spiritually fit. What is that? Physically fit, emotionally fit, spiritually fit, but it starts with spiritual fitness. And you will understand that if you want to be spiritually fit, you have to be emotionally fit. And if you want to be emotionally fit, you have to be physically fit. And therefore he says, godliness is profitable for everything. So if you start exercising yourself unto godliness, everything else will follow. You see? And then, First Peter chapter 6, verse 5, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, who suppose godliness is what? Gain. Uh, we, this, we were doing a study in, in Gideon's and I told them, th- imagine, no, a pastor who comes in a Mercedes Benz with a three-piece suit and he gets off and you look at a man, anointed man of God, godly man, fantastic godly man. Next you see another car coming and this time it's not a pastor, it's Dawood Ibrahim in same Mercedes Benz. What will he say? Anointed. In the wrong way, of course. You see? Physical, the, the moment, I, I was stunned. I'm not talking, I'm not saying this just casually. I've seen it in experience in my own life. Many of my Christian brothers in my school, in my college know that I've come into full-time ministry. So the one day I went back to college, I took my MacBook, which was gifted to me. I took my iPhone, which was gifted. I didn't have a MacBook then. I had a old Latitude laptop given to my, given by my university and an old phone. And suddenly they all knew that I'm in the ministry now. And those brothers came to me and started talking to me. They saw, saw my MacBook. They saw my iPhone. And he said, Vijay, you're blessed man. <laughs> you're blessed. This is, the attitude of many people about godliness. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that God is not basically physically, but that is not the symptom. <laughs> that is not the way you look at whether one is godly or not. You're blessed. I just had to laugh at myself because I know this guy where he's coming from and what he listens to, who he listens to. And the same guy, the in one of the Bible studies, he just got up and started blasting me about certain things because it does not obey with his doctrine. You see, gain is godliness. And he, Paul is saying, you know, you need to understand what godliness is because you, in the in the last days, you'll have all these new floating ideas, and therefore you need to discover what is it. Discover for yourself what godliness is. What is it? Discover. What does it mean? What does it mean? There are ancient paths which have been set by all the men of God who have finished the race before us. And there's nothing new under the sun. You have to dig those ancient paths. It's interesting. God calls himself the God the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. God of Abraham. Abraham knew God as his father. But what about Isaac? Something very, very interesting about Isaac. This is, of course, Watchman Nee's book, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You have to study these men of God who have dug their wells deep 
You know what it, what he says? The difference between God of Abraham and God of Isaac is this. When, Ab- when Abraham dug his wells, he dug them for the very first time. When Isaac dug his wells, he dug the wells that Abraham has already dug. wells that Abraham has already dug and the Philistines had come and they have closed them. Those are the wells Isaac goes and redicts and rediscovers the God of Abraham. You know what he tells? He says what? Every time you see something new and you hear something new, test if it was already there and it was already followed by our forefathers. You have to discover God in Because every day you will find some new floating idea. How are you going to test it? No. And see if Jesus taught it. No. And see if the apostles taught it. And practiced it. Oh, ancient paths. That's exactly what the reformation was all about. Reformation did not come with something new idea. It was already an old idea. Justification by faith. Sola fide, sola gracia. Sola scriptura. And a couple of other solos. Old paths. Discovery. And therefore, every generation has to understand the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and of course the God of Jacob. That's a different message altogether. But you need to understand something. The wells that have been dug by our forefathers, we have to redig it for ourselves in our generation. Because otherwise, there will be a generation which will arise which do not know their Lord. And we will be held responsible for that. You see? And therefore he says, <laughs> godliness with contentment, my dear brother, is great gain. But you, O oh man of God, flee these things, these new found ideas, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, gentleness. Pursue this. Make it your mission to understand what is it to live a godly life. Dig your wells deep. Dig your wells so that you can have something to give this generation. They can come and drink from your well and they'll be able to find sustenance. Okay? Godliness with contentment. Second, why do we study this? Again, Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 1. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, ungrateful, that is, ingratitude will be the mark and the hallmark of the last days. People who are absolutely unthankful, not in the world, but in the church. You see? Unholy, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, then lovers of God. And then, they have a form. They don't have true godliness. They have a form of godliness, but they do not have the power to overcome sin in their lives. See? And therefore, we need to study this. What it is to mean to live a godly life? What it is to live a godly life? Where do we learn from? Whom do we learn from? Whom do we learn from? That's the reason why the author of Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It is said about Sadhu Sundar, no? This is Zach Bunan in one of his messages was sharing about Sadhu Sundar Singh. Sadhu Sundar Singh was this Sikh who got converted and of course after several years of his conversion many people visited him. And one of the testimonies that they come back with 
whenever they visit sadhu sundar singh they say you know what whenever we see him we see purity in his eyes how is it possible that a man can become pure and you'll see pure and peter says you know what in the last days you will have a set of people who have adultery in their eyes purity how come because he was beholding and beholding and beholding and beholding what will happen if you keep on beholding jesus you will have to become pure as he is pure and you'll have purity in your eyes the, the very gaze you don't even have to speak you'll be like that shunamite woman who will understand when elisha just passes by and comes and has a meal he doesn't do one miracle one miracle is not done by elisha and you know what she says this man is going and is having a meal in our home and going having a meal in our home and going i perceive this man is a man of god just by the way elisha ate you know eating <laughs> by the way elisha ate she understood the man of god oh boy what do we have to learn therefore they have a form of godliness but they do not have the power to overcome sin and therefore we need to understand what this godliness is all about and therefore without more suspense let us jump in i'm not going to discuss about all this all the six or the seven we have to always find seven don't we if we don't have six i mean if we don't have seven we we'll find seven okay first timothy chapter 3 verse 16 without controversy great is the mystery of godliness what is this mystery baba vijay please we don't want to see our bibles now we just want to see it on the screen okay first mystery god was manifested in the flesh justified in the spirit seen by the angels preached among the gentiles believed on in the world received in glory oh we like six steps to godly living <laughs> you find them here in the bible <laughs> we're all algorithmic generation right so 1 2 3 4 5 6 repeat well we'll not look at all of them today i just want to look at two god was manifested in the flesh justified in the kya baat hai of course this is the kjv translation it's the holy translation we'll find a non holy translation not so holy translation not a non holy not so holy translation to get a rendering of this this is of course the living bible i love this translation look at what he says it is quite true that the way to live a godly life is not an easy matter <laughs> okay how many of you thought godly living is easy of course it is not therefore it is called a mystery but the answer lies in christ who came to earth as a man oh boy what who came to earth as a man we just can stop here and we can go home of course not before we recited two stanzas from a particular hymn of course before we go there he came to earth as a man and was proved spotless and pure in the spirit that is an incredible thing what is that he came to earth as a man See, 
you know the writer of hebrews will say in, say in first first hebrews chapter 1 he says god in sundry times and in the, in the past in diverse manners he has spoke through us to us through his prophets but in these last days he has spoken to us through his son it's a remarkable mystery what does it what does it say tell i mean this is a liberating thing saints i'm telling you if we grasp this we grasp this we will enjoy godly life do we want do you want to enjoy you know we always yesterday i was talking about to the when we were uh, we were in, uh, incidentally by the way coincidentally we were in isaiah chapter 53 yesterday in our bible study uh, during the isaiah bible study you know, i was was telling the, them you know aw tozer made a very interesting statement in the world there are two kinds of people there are good stupid ones and the intelligent wicked ones <laughs> good stupid ones and the intelligent wicked ones and when i read it i went back to my days in canada i remember that the day when i was actually invited invented or invited not invented invited by my by my uh, my relatives in toronto for the first thanksgiving ever in my entire life i didn't even have a clue as to what thanksgiving was they invited me over to thanksgiving so and these were all abcds no what is abcd american born confused desi okay <laughs> or cbcd canadian born confused desi so uh, and they they went there to school and they picked up all these lingo right and i i went there and one of the terms that they used to do used for intelligent moves or intelligent things if you do some thing something very smart you know what the expression boy that is totally wicked <laughs> and i'm like i heard it for the first time what i did something good and you calling it wicked Boy, this is totally wicked, man. And my my uncle who heard it for the first time. Poor man, he was not born in Canada. Are you Adendra? How is it wicked? <laughs> This is totally wicked. I mean, I I couldn't just forget that verse in Isaiah which says, "In the last days, people will call darkness light, light darkness." they're confused about what is godliness see the good stupid people in other words in other words if you have not cut corners if you have we have lived an absolutely righteous life and in the end of your life you have nothing to show for yourself you know they will say are you stupid fellow but if you have and cutting corners for for believers is different You may have lived a very very righteous and a noble life outside but you did it at the cost of your relationship with God you have cut corners That is the reason why God says you fool you thought you were a very intelligent wicked fellow It was intelligence that it, you have to be an intelligent guy to make money like that He was smart fellow He understood the stock market He knew exactly what start was. He needed to sell at which time, and he said, "You know what, you fool." <laughs> Final analysis: You're a fool. And we need to understand this. We need to understand that godly life is something we need to enjoy. There are no good, stupid people. In fact, the most wise thing you need to do, you, 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 will, if you would have ever done, is to live a godly life. Think about it, no? 
We, so we all think that Satan is the most wise fellow. No, 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 no. His wisdom is gone. The moment his wisdom turned into an iniquity, that wisdom is useless. God says that. You don't have to be afraid of his wisdom. You only have to be afraid of his tactics. His devices. His schemes. You see? Who came to earth as a man. Something very, and proved spotless and pure in the spirit. In other words, he is trying to tell us, you know what, it is possible to be a man, and it is also possible to be proven spotless and pure in the spirit. It is possible. Second thing, first Timothy chapter 2 verse 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. There is a man who is seated on the throne, saints. Even now, even as I'm preaching. In TLB, the Living Bible, will capture this beautifully. He says that God is on one side and all the people are on the other side. And Christ Jesus himself, a man. Remember that famous hymn that Charles Wesley wrote? The hymn that we call it, call it a Christmas carol. Christ, the everlasting... Christ, the highest heaven adored. Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin womb. Can you imagine the paradox of it? Christ, the everlasting Lord. Christ, the heaven, highest heaven adored, that he will come as the offspring of a virgin's womb. Wailed in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. We were used to go on carols those days. Tired saints. Waking up other tired saints. And sing these songs without any knowing what exactly it means. Hail the heaven born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. That is Charles Wesley for you. You don't have it these days. The power of that kind of poetry which can transcend even your intellect and hit your spirit right away. You don't have it. Because we don't sufficiently meditate on the mystery that God was made man. And he was justified by the Spirit. God was manifested in the flesh. Justified in the Spirit. We'll understand what that means. In the next few minutes. To a certain extent only. You see, if you can understand God completely, then you have not worshipped God. There's always an element of mystery. <laughs> That's exactly what happened to David. Oh, so Daniel, Lord, show me more, Lord. Show me more, Lord. Show me more. Enough. I don't want to show you more. Shut the book. Go home. You see, there's always an element of mystery. And that is the reason that Paul says in Ephesians, you know what? In the ages to come, not in the age, in the ages to come, we will try to understand what the manifold riches of his grace is toward us. Who believe? Manifold. Bible study after Bible study after Bible study after Bible study after Bible study. Paul will come. Moses will come. Vijay will come. Pastor James will come. Hopefully. <laughs> Everybody will come. You know what? Today I got a new revelation. 
Everybody has a new revelation that day. Boy, that will be awesome, isn't it? God was manifested in the flesh. Justified. What does that mean? We need to understand what kind of flesh is this first. God, very good flesh. Let us put that myth away. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Why? It was a flesh which had the capacity to disobey God. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 17. Therefore in all things he had to maybe he had to be made like his brethren that he might be a merciful he might be a merciful and a faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for in that he himself has suffered being tempted he is able to aid those who are tempted what did he understand he understood the power of temptation what did he understand the power of temptation. Now, this is Pastor Sundakrishnan, only he can give this powerful example. I mean, people like him can give up an example like this. You know, he, he said, he gave this example of two businessmen who had difficult marriages. Okay? Example of two businessmen who had difficult marriages. So what did they do? They went on a business trip. When they were during the business trip, you know, they were in the lift. And two pretty girls came. And they enticed these two businessmen. One fellow said no, but he had a twinkle in his eye. The other fellow was, he said no, but he had something in his heart. And he went away. Second day, it was a one week trip by the way. One week trip. So second day again, they went into the lift. Same time those two girls came. They proposed. No strings attached. Friends with benefits. You know what I'm talking about. The people from Filimnagar have a smile on their face. <laughs> friends with benefits. Yes, friends. No strings attached. One fellow had a twinkle in his eye and he said, Oh, Baba, my wife, I have to teach her a lesson. He immediately succumbed. But the next guy said, No. But he also had a difficult marriage. His wife was more difficult than this guy, other guy's wife. Second day, he resisted. Third day, he resisted. Fourth day, he resisted. Fifth day, he resisted. Sixth day, he resisted. Seventh day, he resisted and he came back home. Now tell me, which of these two guys will understand the power of temptation more? The guy who gave in? Or the guy who resisted? And your answer is... I hope so. (laughs) When I heard that, I said, boy, Jesus, he resisted and resisted and resisted and overcame and resisted and overcame and he resisted and he overcame. And he says, you know what? You can also resist. You can also overcome. And I understand the power of sin more than the guy who was called Aaron. Aaron also was called the high priest. Moses went, he fell. Finished. One temptation, enough. One temptation, enough. Who understands the power of temptation more? Do you think Moses understands? I'm sorry. 
Aaron understands or Jesus understands? See? He understands the power of temptation. And therefore, and you'll see this in, in, the, in, the, in the new, in the old covenant, Joseph being a, 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 a type of Jesus Christ over there. And you'll see how he actually overcomes. He says, Genesis chapter 39 verse 10, after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. He refused. Did he say only, did she say only once? Oh, no, no, no. And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or also to be with her. He's not even going to give himself a chance. That is the reason why, you know what? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet did not sin. That's a powerful thing, right? He's able to what? Sympathize. Think about it. Now, the other day, Paul and one of the brothers came to the church office and he was saying, oh no, I'm struggling, etc., etc., etc. The general whole nine yards of a young believer. I told him, brother, Jesus was tempted in every area, yet he did not sin. Right? Jesus was tempted in every area, yet did not sin. So we can also be tempted in every area and we don't also have to sin. Jesus overcame and he started empathizing with others. What will happen if you overcome? Will you empathize with Peter? Peter, I understand the power of temptation. Now you'll say, you know what, Peter? (laughs) Well, how many, how long have you been a believer? I am a Johnny come lately, I am better than you. That is the reason why you will fall. You see, that is the reason why in Christendom, why do you have so many failures? Is because one victory is enough for spiritual pride to come up. And that, that is the reason why, you know what Paul, God says, I will not draw out these kingdoms or these nations all at once. You know what will happen? All at once, wild beasts will come. But you know what I am going to do? Little by little, little by little, one day at a time, one day at a time, one day at a time, and one day you will overcome. But keep on fighting till that day. Because he sympathizes with our weakness. Did you understand? Arthabinda, most of them are guilty, so it's fine. Did you understand what I'm talking about? That is the reason why most of us fail. For me, it was like that, no? One victory enough. <laughs> Yes, Lord. <laughs> Sami, you see, enough. You'll become a teacher now. <laughs> you see, he understands the power of temptation, but he's also able to sympathize. Therefore, brothers and sisters, blessed is a man who endures temptation, for when he has been Approved, approved, he will receive a crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Now, uh, power of temptation is so important for us to understand. You know, see Herbert Locke here in his book, The Seven Pillars of God's Wisdom. By the way, it's not the same seven pillars of wisdom that I preached. This is a very interesting book by Herbert Locke here. It's exposition on First Timothy chapter 3 verse 16. Okay, exposition. Entire book on one verse. 
Okay? So he helped me a lot when I was preparing for this message. So he says, this is very interesting. What he says, when temptation is not self-invited, when it is rightly met, serves our best interests. It reveals our weaknesses, rouses our watchfulness, drives us to God for help, clears our aims and principles, and strengthens our soul in conflict. Ah, 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 ah. I just had to kiss that. Okay, It is in this way, look at the new word, for the first time you'll, you'll read this, the machinations of the devil are overruled for our good. The machinations, by the way, the word machination is a scheme, the plan, the and the, 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 the designs of the devil, the machinations of the devil. This guy is from the old timer. He's dead and gone. This Herbert Lockyer, by the way, he is the one who wrote the 21 all series. All the threes of the Bible, all the sevens of the Bible, all the doctrines of the Bible. And he also wrote this, when I went to OM books and I just saw this book and I was fascinated. I thought he was preaching about the seven pillars of wisdom. He's completely different. Powerful man of God. This is awesome that it, it is in this way you understand the machinations. That is the reason why for this purpose the Son of Man was revealed so that he may dismantle the works of the devil. It's actually the word is destroy the works of the devil. It is dismantling actually. You know there are two ways of destroying a car. Send it to a crash guard. Tongue, 25 ton weight and it will become a box. I will give it to you. There are other way of dismantling or destroying a car. You know what it will do? Turn it open piece by piece and put it all across like that. That's exactly what God, Jesus did. He dismantled the works of the devil. The machinations of the devil. So, we need to understand the power of temptation in our own life. Therefore, therefore, because we have a God, He's able to reveal that. He's able to understand with each one of us when we are going through our own struggles. You see that? And then of course he says, James chapter 1 verse 13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God does not be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted by his own desires and enticed. What is the difference between Jesus' temptation and our own temptation? Our temptation is because the wicked one has come and he has found something in us. John's chapter 14, John's gospel chapter 14 verse 13, The wicked one has come and he has found something in us. But when he came to Jesus, he found nothing in him. And therefore, temptation comes, it reveals exactly what is there in your heart. And therefore, you know what Paul says? He says, you know what? When the commandment came, sin revived, I died. Therefore, the commandment is holy, the commandment is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin, and this I know, that is in me, that is in my flesh, there is nothing good. You all have to come to the realization till that day, God will keep on sending temptations after temptations in your life. Of course, he didn't just understand the power of temptation, he overcame temptation, right? And of course, how did he overcome temptation? Listen to the two two series of Pastor James, the word became flesh. Pastor Constance, powerful uh, revelation. But one thing, one principle, One principle as to how Jesus overcame. Simple. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. Who in the days of his what? Flesh. When he offered up prayers and supplication with vehement cries and tears to him, was able to save him from death and was heard because of his reverent fear. You know, Zach Bonan gives this beautiful illustration. He says, you know, imagine a guy who comes from a very, very rich neighborhood and goes to a slum. 
Rich neighborhood and suddenly he is in a slum. How will he be there? When he, somebody is giving him water, he will look at the glass, he will look at this, he will look at that, he will look at this. Uh, then he will say, Kinle on Okay? When somebody serves him food, he will look at the, when somebody serves him chai, he will be very, very careful. Now that is a guy who is in a rich neighborhood. Exact analogy. When Jesus came into this sinful world, he was absolutely pure and holy and he understood sin everywhere. And he said, Lord, you know what? I don't want to touch that. I don't want to touch that. I don't want that to affect me. I don't want that. Because it is imperative that I overcome. And never said even even once. And therefore he started crying. You know, that desperation is not there in any one of us. If you are honest. How do we have that desperation? Where do we have it? Getting up in the morning itself is a difficult job. See? Exercising unto godliness every day. Roju chayala idi. Maths. Okaroju jese chadu sarpoda. See? Every day. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 3. Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him in the spirit of wisdom, of understanding, of counsel, and of might, knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. And he delighted. You know, that is the one thing that we need to ask constantly. Lord, give me the gift of the fear of the Lord when I sin. Lord, let my heart beat against my chest. That I fear, I will fear that I have offended you and I have quenched or grieved the Holy Spirit in my life. Because these are all, these are not, they are not ostensibly, you know, cannot, you cannot see them. These are all spiritual. And Holy Spirit can slowly withdraw. And slowly you will stop hearing His voice of conviction. It will be like this, no? You are taking your mobile phone and you are slowly going to the outskirts of the Hyderabad city and the signal is getting weaker and weaker and weaker and weaker. You don't even realize. Are you signal name Milra? Then you will put it like this. Are you signal Milra? That's exactly what happens. Sometimes again we start hearing. Oh, maybe I am good with the Lord. But what happens actually? You have gone to the outskirts of city and you have not even realized it. That signal will deceive you. And then you have gone. No more signal. You see? Okay. His delight was in the fear of the Lord. Next. He never justified himself. We will stop here. We will continue in the next class. Because it's not process that we need to go through. So we have just looked at once. One and we look at the next class. Can we, can we pray? Father, we thank you, Father. Father, we we want to love you, Lord, but we don't know how. But Lord, you said in your word that you will circumcise everyone everyone's heart so that we would love you and your Holy Spirit will shed abroad his love so that we will love you. And when we love you, we will begin to obey your commands. And we thank you, Father, that you are a God who has manifested in the flesh and who overcame and understands every pain and every struggle and every failure and of every brother over here, in spite of the fact that so many of them are still in the Lord for such a long time, you still understand them, Lord. And you're not condemning them this evening. You're convicting them. And you're exhorting them not to give up this fight until they find victory. That they will be noble souls, O Lord, that who will 
cherish and they will fall, follow hard after you until they find the victory in their lives. And they will begin to empathize with their brothers when they find you. Give us grace to that end, we pray. We thank you, Father, for this time. We praise you, we worship you, we give you glory, honor and praise. In Jesus' name.